togetherness. And that's, I believe, this year is going to be the greatest year that our hearts are going to be tied to one another like never before. I believe that uh, unity is a powerful thing. You know, I'm not going to talk about the Tower of Babel, but if you read uh, in the Old Testament the story of the Tower of Babel, God said this. They weren't even doing the will of God. They were going against God's will. And yet God said because of their unity, nothing that they are determined to do will be held from them. So can you imagine if we are standing in unity when we come together in the will of God, how much we can do? You know, Melody and I can't do all that much, but together as a church family, even with people who are helping us out online, we can do tremendous things. And Paul understood this. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to agree to live in unity with one another and put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Be restored as one united body, living in perfect harmony from a consistent choreography. That's it, right that time. Choreography, yeah. I couldn't even say it the first service. So from a consistent, that word, among yourselves, <laughs> having a common perspective with shared values. Togetherness. This is, this is the definition of that word, the state of being close to another person or other people. And they give the example, the sense of family togetherness. I like that. The sense of family togetherness was strong and excluded neighbors. Well, we're not going to do that part, but the family coming together. And then some synonyms are cohesion, cohesiveness, harmony, fellowship, camaraderie, and close bonds. I'm telling you, we're going to do more this year because we come together, because there's unity in this house. And I believe that the Lord has really put that on my heart. And I believe that it's going to be by his grace, by his power, by his, his ability working through us and with one another. And uh, I'm asking for our church family to really partner with us this year. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. First of all, partner by just praying for us as a church, as our leadership. You pray for our leaders. That would be me and everybody below me. We have a lot of leaders in this church. But also pray for one another. I pray for you guys. Sometimes I pray for you corporately, but other times I'll just say, okay, God, is there anybody that really needs special prayer or something going on in their life? And, and sometimes the Lord will bring me your face, bring me your name, and, uh, and I'll just start praying for you. And so uh, I don't announce that. You know, I, I prayed for John today. I'm telling you what, you all just lift him up. He's really, no, I don't do it that way. But, you know, I, I know that God wants us to pray. So will you partner with us in prayer? Will you partner also with your giving? I know it's a cuss word for pastors to uh, mention about giving, but I'm gonna, can I explain my heart? This is what I know. The more money that comes in, the more that we can do. That's just flat out it. Uh, the more that we can do online through the internet, the more that we can do uh, locally and globally, I just know that we just need more money. And I'm asking you to partner with us and just... Give whatever's on your heart to give. I know uh, I, I said this in the first service, and I know it probably sounded weird uh, or strange because I don't even pray about my giving. I don't. 
I just give what's in my heart, what I want to give. And if I want to give more, I say, Lord, you need to give me some more money because I want to give more. And I'm amazed that he gives me more money. But I'm, I, I'm a giver. And uh, on uh, Christmas Eve, we had this, uh, you know, we have our tradition. We read the Christmas story and everything. But this year, I, after that, I, I <clears throat> just had it on my heart to do this. Uh, I told all the people that were younger than me and my family as we came together, I said, you know, we come, your stock, your, your pedigree uh, is a line of givers, people who are generous. And I said, Dad Hagemeyer is the most generous giving person I've ever known on this planet. And I said, he's taught me that, and I have become that in my lifetime to be a giver and to be generous. And I said, this is the thing that I want you younger people to know. There's never been a day in my life that God has not provided for me, blessed me, and even given me my wants. You know, people say, well, God will give you your needs. No, God will give you the desires, plural, of your heart. So he gives me stuff that I don't need. I don't need a nice pickup truck, but I got one. I may not need this, I may not need, but I tell you what, being a generous giver just opens that up. It's not, God's not withholding anything from you. Let me just tell you that. He's not. He's not withholding something from you because you're stingy or you're tight. He's not. But I do know this. The more that I release, the more comes to me. And it's just the goodness of God. And because of that, I have never lacked in my lifetime. And I'm just t- I'm telling you that not because I'm trying to get something from you. We've already received our offering, so you're cool, all right? <laughs> but if you want, we can take up. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, I'm just wanting you to know that. And I feel like as your pastor, as your friend, I would like for you to partner in your gift. I'm not going to tell you how much to give. Give what you want to in your heart. Give what you want to. That's what I give. Anyway, everybody okay? So partnering with our prayers, with our giving, but also partnering our believing. I want you to believe with us. This is something that's bigger than me. It's bigger than me and Melody. What we are believing for is huge. It's too big for us. It doesn't make logic sense in what we're believing for. I mean, long-term goal, I want 5,000 member church. I know you look at us and go, Pastor. Logically speaking, that's ridiculous. But I'm so thankful that when it comes to God, He doesn't deal with logic. He doesn't deal with logic. He doesn't deal. This has to make sense. Really? Okay, explain the virgin birth. This, you know, it doesn't make sense. So we just really can't go that way. But man, you read from Genesis to Revelation, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. It doesn't, you can't reason it out. I mean, you can't reason out. A little shepherd boy throwing a stone to a giant kills him dead, dead, dead. I mean, you just think, oh, what a lucky shot. No, that would be called God. And there's God things that he wants to do in your life and my life when we get out of the realm of reasoning. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he ought to just be uh, ignorant and say, not use your brain. I believe God gave us a brain for a reason. But at the same time, we do not let logic and reason determine everything that we're believing God for. And so based upon that, for us to be believing God for a 5,000-member church, it's just ridiculous. 
but I'm not going by that. So my short-term goal for this year, I would like to, this to happen by Easter. We ought to be running 250 people. We ought to be running 250 people. Now, we have about 250 members, but how many know there's things that come up and not all 250 people come every single Sunday, so we're under 200 in that way. But I want to have 250 people in the house. If God used 120 gathered in the upper room and the whole world was changed, I think 250 is a good number to change Pueblo. I said I think 250 is a good number to change Pueblo. And so we're also, listen, that, we need your help in that. We have marketing. We spend money on marketing. But uh, there is nothing better advertisement than your mouth. So we need your mouth. We need you to tell people uh, about our church. Do you believe in what we're speaking from this pulpit? Do you believe in our vision? Do you believe in our goal? Then partner with it. And because there's a lot of hurting people, not only online, but there's a lot of hurting people in our city. A lot of people that need their lives transformed. They don't need religion. They need transformation. And listen to me. Uh, that's the, the other. Above everything else, God has given us a mandate to change the way people think about him. To make people. And listen. I said this verse, service, and I believe this. You can criticize this and say it's wrong. But I believe the majority of the church world on this planet do not think right about our Heavenly Father. The majority of Christians think that the blessings and the goodness of God are based upon their performance, not upon His goodness. There's some people that still come to this church that I, that I can tell that still believe that way, and that's all right. You hang around a muddy pond long enough, you slip in. That's all right. <laughs> So you keep coming here, you keep listening, you'll slip in. My point is this. My point is this. God is so good. I was watching a movie with my family, my, my kids, and uh, it, was, it was one of those hero movies. Don't, don't criticize me. Don't write me a letter. I won't read it. But anyway, about I love watching hero movies. I just love it. And there was this one line in this movie, and they said, you're a king. And the, and the lady says, no, you're something far greater than a king. And he said, what could be greater than a king? And she said, a hero. And that just hit me. And I just thought, you know why? Because a king can't deliver you from everything that you're involved in or, or surrounding you. But a hero, they can deliver you because you can't, you can't get out of this mess. A hero can deliver you and set you free. Jesus is our hero. He will deliver you out of a mess that you can never get out of. Nobody can get you out of this mess. Nobody can get us a building. Nobody can get us a, a university. Nobody can do this. But we have a hero who says, I am well able to do things for you that you cannot do for yourself. That's what a hero does. And so we need to let Pueblo know and people around the world know that we have a hero. We don't just have a king of kings and the Lord of lords. We have a hero that will take you out of a mess or take you to a destination you can never get to by yourself. Woo. So we're believing for that. A new building, a college in the Congo, a youth center. But we, the greatest thing that I want is to change the way people think about God. 
that is the number one thing that I have on my heart. And I said this on Christmas Eve. A lot of some of you may have been out of town. We had a packed house, by the way. But um, some of you may have been out of town. But I felt like the Lord gave me a word on Christmas Eve morning. I was looking over my notes and everything, and I just felt like the Lord spoke this. And I felt like the Lord said, Mike, I'm putting a trumpet to your mouth. And when you blow and speak forth, the things that come out will be even amazing to you. And it's going to be the grace message, the love of God, like people have never heard. It's, they've heard it, but we've not heard it. You know, you can hear something, but you're not understanding. Oh, yeah, I know God loves me. No, you don't. Oh, I know God is merciful. No, you don't. Oh, I believe in the grace of God. Mm, no, you don't. Because I said all of those things five to ten years ago. I said all, every one of them. And within the last five years, I'm, th- I'm thinking as the Lord's revealing to me, no, I didn't. I did not. I didn't understand his grace. I didn't understand his love. And I've been a pastor for 20 years. And I could say honestly that I didn't understand that. And here I am preaching it, and I didn't even understand that. And I think that's why God says, now is the time for me to put the trumpet to your mouth. Because he wants people in our city and around the world on the Internet hearing about the grace and the love and the goodness of God like they've never heard before. Can you say amen? Amen. We need your help in doing that. We need your mouth telling people that maybe go to church. Oh, I don't like church. You know, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, so what? (laughs) The hospital's full of sick people. That doesn't stop sick people from going. Are you hearing me? You need to come here and you can get fixed. You can get, we're not looking for perfection. But I do know this, the more you come here, we're going to make it difficult. I said we, the Spirit of God wants it to be difficult for people that are sick to stay sick, for people to poor to stay poor, for people living in defeat to stay defeated. If you keep coming here, it's going to be difficult for the devil to have any part of your life, in any area of your life. That's the goodness of God. You may not be that way tomorrow, but just keep coming. Just keep listening. Just keep hearing. Faith's going to rise. There's going to be a transformation on the inside of you like never before. Because God, listen to me, God is not looking for performance so you can be transformed. Because I was always in the mindset, religion and churches, we've always been in the mindset that if you perform better, that will transform you. It doesn't work. Identity will transform you. Identity transforms, not performance, not doing better, working harder, but identity will transform you. And God wants transformation on this planet in his church, not for performance. And that's why I preach the way that I preach. Because I want to see people's lives change. Not just regulated by how you act. All right, being a partner, Philippians chapter 1. Verse 5 says, I thank my God for your fellowship, your sympathetic cooperation and contributions, and look at that word, partnerships, in advancing the good news, the gospel, from the first day you heard it until now. And I thought, man, that's what we need. We need people to partner with us because I feel strongly about the message that God has given me. I do. Like never, I've been a preacher. I taught in a Bible school in, in, in Africa. And, uh, but until 
recently, I have never been excited about the gospel like I am today. And I believe God has just done something on the inside of me. And that's why he says, I'm, you know, I've heard, you know, there's people like Brother Hagan, uh, Andrew Womack. These people says they've been ministers for 20 years, 25 years. And God spoke to them and says, now you're ready to step into what I've really called you to. And all of them went, what? What? And I feel like God is saying that to me. Now you're ready, Mike. Like, just like right now, not for the last 25, since 1990, I just went blank. Where, when did I go to Africa? 91. November 91. I've been in full-time ministry 27 years. In other words, I haven't had a secular job since 1991. So I've been in full-time ministry since 1991. 20, this year will be 28 years. Is that right? 28 years. And not once have we lacked or gone without. But I do know... God is saying, now in 28 years, now you're ready. Now you're ready to blow what the good news is intended for the city and for people around the world. I'm just, do you believe that? I need you to join hands with us so we can get this out. This is not so, you know, maybe years ago I thought, yeah, it would be nice to have a great big church. And most people that I, most pastors that I know who have bigger churches, they just look at me and say, you just have more problems, Mike. That's the only thing. And, and there's some truth in that. But this is what I'm believing. I'm believing that we'll be able to affect more people's lives than ever before because Pueblo needs to be transformed. People watching on the Internet need to be transformed. People need to have healthy bodies, healthy marriages, healthy lives that are living in victory. I believe it. Are there going to be problems? You betcha. But I'm always reminded that light is greater than darkness. God is always going to be greater than anything you face. And every problem that you will encounter in 2019, every single problem that you and I will encounter in 2019 will be connected to a promise, will be connected to a, a provision that is far greater than that problem. I don't know about you, but that just comforts me. That means like, wow, no matter what problem I face, there's a promise that's bigger. There's a provision that's greater. So that just kind of calms down the problems. It takes away the fear of your future. Mm, that's good. Well, I know that there's things that can distract us in 2019. There's many, many good things that can distract you and me. I know that uh, I used to be, years ago, I used to be a news fanatic. I mean, there's nothing wrong with news. I don't think you ought to stick your head in the ground and not know what's going on in the world. But I was beyond weird I would if we were this was before you know you could hit record stuff and everything I was just weird I mean I look back and I think man what was Melody thinking about me I know what she was thinking about but anyway I would I would break the speed limit to get home but so I could watch the news before it went off and I would at least watch the news probably for a couple hours a day because I was just so into it and um, I was more consumed listen to me I was more consumed by that than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I didn't realize, you know what? All of these things, the devil, he doesn't want you, you know, he says, well, if I can't just go outright and sin, I'll just get you distracted from Jesus. From Jesus. 
See, he wants you to get distracted from Jesus. You know, and matter, it could be good things that distract you from Jesus. So in 2019, I'm determined to be focused on him, to be laser focused on Jesus. And don't get me wrong, I, I, people think that, and this is their interpretation. And this is what I mean, that people don't have the right mentality about thinking about their father. That means you don't have any fun. Are you kidding me? Are you, I'm going to have more fun this year than I've ever had in my life. Are you hearing me? So don't get in the mentality, oh, yeah, if you serve God, you, that just means no fun. No, if you serve God, that means you get to party and not have any hangovers, not have any toilets, no side effects. I'm not telling you you can dance to your heart's desire and be happy 24-7. Amen. Well, anyway, I'm not going to be distracted. I know that uh, the world wants you to be distracted. But in everything, this is, this is what God said. Jesus himself said, this is how the world's going to know you're my disciples. This is how the world's going to know you're my disciple. Do you realize God could have, he could have picked anything that he wanted. He could have picked morals. Living the good life. This is how the world's going to know. Biblical education. Nothing wrong. You should know the Bible. But I do know this. People are winning at Bible trivia and losing in life. I don't want to win at Bible trivia and lose in life. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. But anyway, um, that's probably not a good phrase to say in church. But anyway, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I want, to live, I want people to win in life. You can quote me 400 scriptures, but are you winning in life? You can quote me 200 scriptures, but do you love your wife? You can quote me 200 scriptures, but are you living in a healthy body that's the temple of Almighty God? Tell me. That's where I want people to be. Anyway, God could have picked anything. This is how the world's going to know. He picked one thing. He could have said performance. It's all about performance. That's how people are going to know. Being religious. That's how people are going to know. But he picked one, three, one thing, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How should you love one another? As I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, by this. Did you hear that? Everybody say, by this. By this, this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, that may sound like, dear Lord in heaven, help us all. You mean I got to love people? Yeah. But this is the good news. Once you and I found out that he's provided the love. If you and I have to do it, if I have to say, I got to love everybody. Oh, Lord. There's some people. It's like Roy Rogers said one time. He says, Lord, you said not to hate anybody, but if you ever change your mind, I got a list. <laughs> I know it's a bad illustration, but anyway, my pro- <laughs> it is funny. But anyway, if in our own strength, in our own might, in our own ability, holy cow, no. But the good news is this. When you and I get a revelation of what God has put inside of us, which is called love, His love now is abundantly ready to manifest and spill out to everybody you know. 
man. How does God love you? It says you need to love people as I have loved you. This is where the problem, I think, is. People don't really understand. People don't really understand how God loves them. So it's easy not to love other people if you don't understand how God loves you. And I believe that's where the disconnect is from us loving other people because we don't totally understand how God loves us. We don't. So how does God love you? John 15, 12, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I loved you. And so I started writing down some things and I started meditating upon that. And I thought, is God critical of me? I think most Christians believe that God is pretty critical of them. You know, that he writes down. We're, we already have, I really have preached about how God is not writing down your sins. There's no record of your sin in heaven. None. I used to think when I was younger, you know, well, not too long ago. I said younger, probably about 10 years ago, I used to think that there was a whole library called the Davis Sins. And it was just mine, whole library, not a book, library. You know, presidents have their own library. I thought I had mine. It's just in heaven under the sin category. But he's not writing down your sins. And I found out God's not even critical of me. I said, God, what? He says, I'm not critical of you, Mike. God is, never criticizes me. He never criticizes you. I know some of you are going, what? God is not up in heaven being critical. You know, the angry eyebrows, you know, my youngest grandson, he, he can give you the look. He's not even, you know, he, he can just, and God never does that to you and me. He never does. Look, he's always, when he thinks of you, when he comes into your presence or whatever, he's always like this. So good to see you. So glad to talk to you. He's always happy with you. Never, ever critical of you. When you make a mistake, he doesn't just like, Michael. That's what my mom always said. You know, you knew you are in trouble. Michael Davis. I don't know what it is about parents. We say the whole 14 million long letter name. You know, like, what did I do? God never calls out your name like that. Never. I said never. He's never critical of you. He's never writing down every little mistake. Now, you know, being somebody from Kentucky, from the people who are watching in Kentucky, I'm not bad-mouthing Kentucky. You all know that English was an elective. It wasn't a requirement. But anyway, <laughs> I... I, sometimes words, I make up words, but you get the point across. I make up words and you get the point across. And there's many people, and I do mean many, will come to me after that and say, you do realize that's not a word. I go, yeah, but I was just trying to get a point. God has never said, Mike, don't make up words. I feel like God's in, in heaven. He specifically looks, to, he gets all the angels to listen to this message. It's hilarious. <laughs> he makes up words all the time. He's, he's hard to follow with some of those people down there, but man, is he cool or what? No, but anyway, God is not critical. 
He is not critical. Now, I'm going to share my heart with you because I know there's been some people I hear through the grapevine that, you know, in the last three years, four years, I, I've been dressing differently. I used to wear a, a suit, a tie, every single Sunday, every Sunday. And then I stopped. And um, this is the thing. I know people, if you come from a religious background, you're going to be used to that and you like that. And I understand that. But I am doing my best to people who come through that door who don't go to church, who like to wear blue jeans, and they were going to feel welcome. If you want to wear a suit, listen to me now. If you want to wear a suit to this church, you are free. When you come in, I'll go, Dad, do your whistle. Do your whistle. Dad. <laughs> I caught him off guard. You need a drink of water. But anyway, he can whistle and make my ears hurt. This, I just go, <laughs> but I would whistle like, if, ladies, if you want to wear one of those decked out prom dress, good looking dresses, I mean, I want, <laughs> woo, man, that looks nice. There you go. You can wear what do you want, but if you want to wear blue, I mean, when I was growing up in church, if you wore shorts, you were a sinner, and you could go to, if you died in shorts, you're going to hell. He was in shorts, I know. Bless his heart. No, it's too late. So I've known, I, I think actually one person quit our church because of my attire. I'm not 100%, but I have a feeling that they quit because of the way I was dressing, you know, wearing jeans and stuff. And, and so I got concerned. So I had a conversation with God. I said, God, I do not want to bring disrespect to this office, to this pulpit. I'm serious. And I said, if you tell me I wear a suit every single, shine my shoes, I mean, I'll do it every single Sunday. And the Lord spoke to me. Listen to me. He said, Jesus said, I came as the king of kings to the planet. And yet I wore what everybody else was wearing. I came as the high priest. But I didn't wear the priestly garments. I wore what everybody else wore. I came as the pastor of all pastors. And yet I wore what everybody wore. Except for there was one slight notation. He says, but my clothes were designer clothes. <laughs> you remember when he was crucified and they stripped him naked, they didn't throw his clothes away. They gambled for them. I don't know about you, but nobody's ever gambled for my clothes. <laughs> Yet. Yet. The point is this. He said in Mark chapter 12, verse 38, then he said to them in his teaching, beware of the scribes who desired to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace. Matthew 20, 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs with indeed apparel beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. God, I felt, I'm serious. Now, you could disagree with that, but that's okay. I know what God spoke to me. He said, you know what, Mike, if you want, whatever you want to wear. He says, what's most important is what's on the inside and that comes out of sight of your mouth is more important to me than what coat or what jacket or what blue jeans or what boots or what tennis shoes, whatever you want to wear. 
Thank you that you said that's good. I believe with all my heart. But I don't want to be offensive. But I just wanted people to know. Because I hear, you know, I'm not ignorant. I hear people saying, you know, you should, you look a lot. They don't say, they just say, you look a lot nicer when you wear a suit. I know what the interpretation that is. My point is this. I want us to be less critical of one another. I want us to love one another. And I'm not just saying that for my, for my benefit. It's for our family's benefit. Our family's benefit. So when somebody walks in the back door, and, you know, of course, now I say holy jeans. Now they're in. <laughs> you got some, those are some cool holy jeans. Well, I believe my jeans are holy too. They just don't have holes in them. But I believe they're holy. But anyway... I'm serious. You know why they're holy? It's because the man of God who's in the clothes make the clothes holy. And it's not because I'm a preacher. It's because of the greater one, Jesus. Every clothes that you put on, all of your clothes that you put on are holy clothes. And some of them are more holy than others if they have actual holes in them. But you know what I mean. I'm not being funny. I'm just saying we don't understand sometimes we're, we're critical. It's easy to be critical. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, I want to be less critical this year. And I need your help to be like that. It's easy to be critical of one another. And to be honest with you, we're more critical or most critical of the people we love the most than we are anybody else. You know, like if you're married. <laughs> now we got... You can tell when I say something like that, everybody gets into a holy train of thought. We are the most critical and sometimes the meanest and unkindest to the ones that we love the most. I'm just saying. And I feel like God says, I can help you in that department. When you understand not only your identity, you understand their identity. You won't be as critical. That's why we're critical of one another. We just don't know who we are and we don't know who they are. God knows who you are and he also knows who they are. That's why God's never critical of you and me. And let me just say this. God loves you and me not because we're lovable. Let's just be honest. There's times from your pastor to anybody out there, we're not lovable all the time. I know that comes as a shock to some of you. You go, you're not? No, I'm not. Some of you go, I know you're not. But anyway, there may be one or two out there that think I'm always. But anyway, there's, and I'm serious about the one or two. But anyway, God does not love us because we're lovable. It's because he loves us because that's his nature. And the good news is that nature is on the inside of you and me. That's why we can love people. Not because they're lovable. It's because it's the very nature of Almighty God. That's why he loves me. That's why he loves you. It's not because you're good. Oh, I'm better than them. No, you could be worse than everybody. And God says, I still loved you. For God so loved the world. He loves people. Not because they're lovable. And this is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all. You can just stop right there. Above all. What does that mean? This is the most important thing, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody say above all. Above all, all, constantly echo God's intense love for one another. Did you just get that? 
Because I thought, I want to preach, you know, Lord, I just want to have an impactful message the first of the year. He said, this is it. Why? Because this is above all. Well, God, I really, you know, love, you know, I want to, I want to, I'm going to preach on love. That's what I'm going to do. Why? Because he says, above all, constantly echo God's intense love for one another. For love will be a canopy over a multitude of sins. I've heard that, but I started meditating upon that. And listen, it's not talking about, you know, God, of course, his love covers a multitude, but he's talking about you and me because he's saying love one another. So how does love put a canopy or cover, the King James Version says, cover a multitude of sins. How does that love do that? This is how it does that. We all have issues, stuff going on that irritate people that are wrong. If you're married, you know exactly what I mean. If you have friends, you know what I mean. If you're breathing, you know what I mean. (laughs) People do things that you don't like. This is what God says. My love will cause that to be covered like it doesn't exist, like they're not doing it. And I went, what? Can you remember, you know, when uh, if you're married, before you were married or if you ever dated, when you were dating, there would be people that your friends, let's just be real, your friends would go to, yeah, you know, well, she does this and, and she does that, and, you know, she's irritating this. And you're just going, yeah, isn't it cute? And they're looking at you like, no, <laughs> it's not cute at all. But this is what love does. It's just kind of like, yeah, I know they're doing it, but it doesn't matter. You get Google-eyed, you know, and all of that. That's what love does. But, yet, you know, then after you get married, then, you know, you see all the nakedness and all the ugliness and everything and what they do and what, they, what things irritate you, and you go like, it ain't pretty no more. You know what? You, you know, who, who is that? You lost that loving feeling? You lost that love and feeling. Whoa. I got backup right here. Everybody now. But this is the thing. It's not that it's lost, it's still in you, but that your your critical attitude pushes that down to where it's not able to manifest like God wants it to. But this year, I just told God, I says, I want to love the way and see people and their true identity the way that you see them. And God says, then, Mike, you have to see yourself the way that I see you. You cannot see somebody in their true identity until you see yourself in your true identity. Because once you see yourself in your true identity, it transforms your life to where you have the ability now to see other people's identity. I just got started. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. With tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness, generous love toward one another, especially toward those who may try your patience. (laughs) We have a list of people that can fit into that category. Who try your patience. The Lord says, I have the ability inside of you to be patient toward those who will try your patience, who are irritating you, who are like a thorn that goes underneath your fingernail. 
God says, I can cause you to love them in a way that you've never seen before. But first of all, you have to see the way that I see you. And if you see the way that I see you, then you'll have the ability to see them the way that I see them. And I'm never critical of them, Mike, like you are. God is never critical. You know, we feel, I feel justified in being critical because they're really stupid, God. We feel justified. 1 Peter 3.8. Now, this is the goal. This is the goal for Rocky Mountain Family Church 2019. Here it is. It's written in the Word of God. This is the goal. To live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy, and kindness. Oh, Lord, help us. You know, it could, if it just didn't put the word kindness in there. Kindness toward, toward God? No, toward other believers. Let humility describe who you are as you dearly love one another. Never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly, nor insult those who insult you, but instead respond by speaking a blessing over them because a blessing is what God promised to give you. This is the goal. Will we be perfect at this? Just let me tell you right now, no. But that's the goal. I'd rather shoot for the goal and, and come close than say, you know what, we can't do this, so, so just hate everybody. You okay? Let's just, it's just a lot easier to hate people and be critical. It's easier to be critical of people. Hey, you're, you dress funny. Your mother, man, did your mother pick out those clothes for you? You need more makeup. I'll buy it. I mean, it's easy to talk like that. <laughs> that was a joke. Some of you women going, I was talking about the men. But anyway, it's easy to be critical, isn't it? It's just part of the of flesh of life. Now that we have social media, everybody wants to be critical around the world. People can be critical of you from the Congo, you know. They can be or from Jamaica or wherever. They can put it on the internet and be critical of you. But here he says, this is the goal. Demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy, and kindness toward other believers. Let humility rise up from me. Never retaliate wrong for wrong. This is the goal. I know I won't be perfect at that. I know you won't be perfect at that. But that should be our goal. And when we find out who our true identity is, and you're going to, we're going to go on this journey this year, 2019. 2019, we'll go on this journey of realizing who our identity is, how much God loves us, how much he's transformed us, and then we'll be able to love others and see transformation in their life. This is the goal. Let's stand. One last scripture. I appeal to you, 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you. This is Paul, man. He's saying, man, I'm, I'm appealing to you. Dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other, let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. I believe we can do this as a family. Rocky Mountain Family Church. We're just like every other family. There, there could be some weirdos. There's going to be this. There could be that. Yeah, there can be some uncles. This and you know, yeah, I got that family. So do we. But the great thing is, we're family. But the even greater thing is, 
We have the greatest father. We have the greatest father. And he will work on the inside of you to help you to have victory in your life, to walk in health, to walk in victory, and to walk in unity. I believe we can do this as a family. I believe we may not be perfect. I know we won't be perfect at it, but I do know one thing. As we come together, we'll see growth in this church. We'll see growth in our city. We'll see lives transform. We'll see people who've never been healed get healed. We'll see marriages that are about ready to go in divorce court, and they'll come and have the most romantic explosion in their life because of the love of God. We'll see people who are struggling financially all of a sudden just come into the the grace of Almighty God to bring them from the depths of poverty to the riches of His grace and glory. I believe we'll see that this year. And walking in unity and being partners of one of another together as a family, we'll be able to do more. Amen.